0: If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Our message today will be from this chapter. It's entitled, A History Lesson. A History Lesson. And it's interesting that we land with this chapter given this holiday weekend and the things that the Lord has pressed upon my heart to share with you today. Uh, This one, I tell you, uh, I was talking to somebody this morning. My hope with today's message is that you would have the same sense of revival for our area that I have in my spirit. I hope that transfers to you as we recognize some things in our own history, American history and in our own area. I think God is on the move and I want us to understand that we are in very interesting times. And um, I think that would be an understatement given some of the roller coaster we've ridden the last few months. But God is on the move nonetheless, and I'm so very grateful for how his hand is upon us. Even in the midst of chaos, he is still at work. Amen? All right, I want to read from Nehemiah 9. Before we dig in, though, I do want to pray, asking the Lord to speak to us powerfully this morning. So you pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how it speaks into our life. And Father, we invite you to come and speak now we ask that our hearts would be ready to receive everything that you have to give today and help us to respond to you. Guide us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Nehemiah 9. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted, and they dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Now, if you remember last week, there was some things starting to happen around God's Word. They were reading it, and people began to weep, and people began to respond, and they had this festival of shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles, and for seven days they read God's Word. And here we are a couple weeks later, and the people get back together again, and it's obvious that they're still fasting, and they're still weeping, and this repentance that's taking place. Verse 2, Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord, their God. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai... Sherebiah, Benai, and Kenanai stood on the stairway of the Levites "'and cried out to the Lord their God with loud voices. "'Then the leaders of the Levites, "'Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hoadiah, Shebaniah, and Pathahiah "'called out to the people, "'Stand up and praise the Lord your God, "'for he lives from everlasting to everlasting.'" And then they prayed. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all, and the angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. And when he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. And you have done what you've promised, for you are always true to your word. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people, for you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land, and then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters." You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. And you came down at Mount Sinai and you spoke to them from heaven. And you gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath and you commanded them through Moses your servant to obey all your commands, your decrees and your instructions." And you gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness. Gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love, you did not abandon them. Even when they had made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, they committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. And you sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Then you helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations, and you placed your people in every corner of the land, and they took over the land of king of Sina, of Heshbon, and the land of king of Og, of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you, and they committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you, and you heard them from heaven. And in your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. But as soon as they were at peace your people again committed evil in your sight and once more you let their enemies conquer them yet whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help you listened once more from heaven in your wonderful mercy you rescued them many times you warned them to return to your law but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands they did not follow your regulations by which people will find life If only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now, O God, the great and mighty, awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people, from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly. And you gave us only what we deserve. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings in your commands and laws. Even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you, though you showered your goodness on them. You gave them a large, fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. So now today we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock, and we serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. The people responded. In view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. That was a big chapter, but I think it's incredibly important to look at the history lesson that is given here. You watch as this takes place. He's walking them through how God's hand has been with them all of these years, yet time and time again they would go into disobedience, and then God's mercy would step in and they would go into disobedience, and God's mercy would step in. Even though God was being gracious to them, and He blessed them, they would still be disobedient. Sound familiar? I think it's interesting that this is the chapter we're on for this particular weekend. Our country has a rich history, a rich founding of believers who prayed and Amazing things happened that set us apart from other nations because of God's grace, because of God's mercy. Yet, it seems like we have this moral decline that is taking place. And we call out for God's mercy. I want to point out some signs of revival that are taking place. Keep in mind, last week we talked about how these people... God was moving the word of God was going forth and people were responding and in the midst of that a couple weeks later they're continually responding and you see this move of God and in the first three verses you see signs of revival taking place before this history lesson is given if you will you can see the people's hearts are in a place of revival And a few of these signs I want to point out to you. The very first one is there was fasting and there was mourning. Not like morning and evening, but mourning like weeping and this deep repentance. Verse 1, it says, They fasted and they dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Now, for them, that was a sign of grief. We don't necessarily have the burlap or the sprinkled dust when we're grieving. But for them, it was obvious they were continually contemplating God's reality in their life. And they're fasting as they continue to seek. And you also see a pursuit of holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. God has designed you to be set apart and holy from the world, to be set apart from sin. And in verse 2, you see, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners. They were beginning to go back to the things that God would desire. If you start to mix yourself with the foreigners, you bring in the foreign ways, if you will. The gods of the foreigners, the things they worship, begin to mix within the Israelite community. And the Bible says they're starting to separate themselves from the foreigners, There's a holiness beginning to take place. And and signs of revival is, is people that come to the Lord leave their life of sin. They separate themselves from sin. They no longer pursue sin. They pursue holiness. And there's also confession of sin. That same verse says they confess their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They also confess for three hours in that worship service. You see confession of sin, a humility to realize there are things in my life that are offensive to God and I need to do something about it. So there's a pursuit of holiness. There's confession of sin and there's this hunger for God's Word. It continues. It's, it wasn't a one-time deal or a one event that happened one week. These people are hungry for God's Word and you see that in verse 3 they remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of God was read think of that if we said okay today's message first things first I want you all to stand and while I preach and read from God's Word you're gonna stand the whole time I mean, this was for three hours. There was this hunger for God's Word and, again, that respect for God's Word that we talked about last week. And you see a quality time in worship. It wasn't a punch in and punch out. I wonder what we're doing after this. You know, something's in the oven cooking. Uh, Here's a few things I'm thinking about that I need to get ready for when I go back home. It says, for three hours they stood in place while God's word was being read, and then for three more hours they confessed their sin and they worshipped God. These are some signs of revival that were taking place. And, And you see this history lesson begin to take shape as we talk about Abraham and how God, his blessing was upon him and the things that were going to happen. But then you start to see a cycle that maybe you've seen or heard of before. But this cycle, you see people fall into sin, and because of their choices, because of their decisions, and their sinful actions, they heap suffering upon themselves. It's, it's, if you will, the, the word here would be consequences. Consequences to your own actions. There are natural consequences. There are also supernatural consequences. If you choose to live a life of sin, there will be suffering. And the suffering leads people to a place where they're they're broken. And they're in this bondage and this captivity and they cry out to God. So there's supplication. They're asking the Lord, help us, help us. And you see this in the history lesson. It says... But God in His mercy, right? God in His unfailing love would come and rescue them, would bring them salvation. And you see this cycle over and over and over again in this history lesson. And I think the same thing happens in our life. Things can be going real good for a season. We forget about what it means to be humble, And the root of all sin is pride. And in our pride, we begin to make choices that aren't holy. We begin to make choices that aren't pleasing to God, that aren't in the pursuit of God. And so those choices eventually lead to consequences, and those consequences lead us to a place where we ask for forgiveness. We realize our need, hopefully, Hopefully, we can get to the repentance and asking for God's help before we get to the suffering. But sometimes, we're so stubborn, just like these people, that it takes a little bit of a, a bus to run us over and help us realize that we're not as big as we think we are. And life's circumstances do that. Have you ever felt like you've been hit by a bus by life's circumstances? But in the midst of that, we turn to God and we see God's mercy. This is one sign of revival that I think we cannot miss. Over and over and over again in this history lesson, we hear about God's mercy. God's mercy on the move in the midst of revival is one of the most important things. It's a move of God. A move of God's mercy. I want to read to you again verses 16 and 17. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. I wonder what kids 30 years from now would think about that verse. They refused to obey and they did not remember. Instead, they became stubborn. Does this sound like anything today? But God is a God of forgiveness. He's gracious and he's merciful. He's slow to become angry and He's rich in unfailing love. You see this revival taking place for Jerusalem and this nation of Israel. And I look at our nation, and I think of some revivals that have taken place in our history. And perhaps you've heard of some of these. Pulling this from Decision magazine, these are notable revivals that have happened here in our own country. The first great awakening and the new world a series of revivals known as the Great Awakening spread through the American colonies between 1725 and 1760. And under preachers like Gilbert Tennant and Jonathan Edwards and English evangelist George Whitfield, the revivals reached their peak from 1740 to 1742. This was known as the Great Awakening in America. The Second Great Awakening... America's next revival began in eighteen oh one at the Cane Ridge Camp near uh, Camp Meeting in Kentucky, where as many as three thousand people were converted. That's like an Acts chapter two moment right there. Three thousand people being converted. The banner year for camp meetings was eighteen eleven when approximately one third of all Americans attended these meetings. By eighteen oh six the awakening had reached Williams College in Massachusetts. There, five students prayed during a thunderstorm in the shelter of a haystack, four of the five committing themselves to becoming missionaries. And the haystack prayer meeting, as it came to be called, was the beginning of the American Foreign Missions Movement. Then the prayer meeting revival, beginning as a prayer meeting of six people on Fulton Street in New York City, In 1857, the prayer meeting revival quickly spread throughout the world. This was a prayer meeting they would do over lunch hour. And it got to be so big that other locations were having these prayer meetings, and then revival broke out. And over the next two years, a million converts were added to American churches, as well as a million that spread into England and Ireland. The Azusa Street Revival in 1906, William J. Seymour, an African American pastor, blind in one eye, went to Los Angeles to candidate for a pastoral job. But after he preached, he was locked out of the second service. Interesting. He began prayer meetings in a nearby home, and the Spirit of God fell after many months of concerted prayer. Eventually, the interracial crowds became so large, they acquired a dilapidated Methodist church at 312 Azusa Street, where daily meetings continued for three years. Kind of glad they kicked him out. You see God moving even in the midst of the enemy wanting to blow things up. As I read all of that, uh, there was a few years ago I was at an FCA meeting in Manson and there was a guest speaker that day and there were some conversations that were had and he had done some research in the Fort Dodge Library, I believe, and he was researching about revival. And he sent me these clippings from at that time it would be the Fort Dodge Messenger, but it was called the Iowa Northwest and there was also a paper called the Fort Dodge Chronicle. And they eventually merged into what you have today as the Fort Dodge Messenger. So this is back in 1895. So go back a few years. Put yourself into that setting. And there were two evangelists, M.B. Williams and C.M. Alexander. Now, Alexander was the piano guy. He was the music guy for these camp meetings. And Williams was the preacher. Now I'm going to list to you some towns in Iowa and eventually this tent meeting comes to Fort Dodge. We're going to start in Bell Plain and I want you to just hear some of these newspaper clippings of what was happening in our area. Bell Plain, Iowa. Williams and Alexander have just closed a remarkable meeting at Bell Plain, Iowa, during which about 500 souls gave themselves to Christ. And all the saloons in town were permanently closed. A local paper says hundreds have been saved. They've gone forward in flocks, in couples, singly, in whole families, in part families, fathers, mothers, sisters, Brothers, daughters, sons, husbands, and wives. They have come shouting and crying, smiling and laughing. Railroad men, merchant men, laboring men, all ages and sizes. Drinking men, gambling men, good enough men, men of all classes and conditions. Such work will last. Such work is genuine. The, recognizing the growing conviction of the people toward heaven and holy things, all our saloons, save one, voluntarily close their doors. The one is closed, too. Didn't sound like that was voluntary. And Belle Plaine stands today a prohibition town. They will begin May 10th at Eagle Grove. Now, I'll get to Eagle Grove in a minute. Manchester, Iowa. These two were there. Manchester has just passed through the most wonderful revival moment in its history. In fact, we know of no more wonderful work in the history of the state. About 600 in all came forward. They rose and made public word-of-mouth professions to their acceptance of Christ as personal Savior. The opera house has canceled all its theater engagements. One troupe was billed for a solid week. Scores of quarrels have been settled, old feuds buried, and the town has virtually been born again. New Hampton, Iowa. When Williams came among us, there was great prejudice against evangelists on so count of mistakes of other evangelists. Mr. Williams met this, overcame it, and led us on to a great victory in morality, temperance, and religion such as our city has never seen before. As a result of the meetings, the churches have been wonderfully stirred. Our nine saloons have been closed. Gambling and other forms of vice broken up. The stores have been closed on Sundays. A citizens' league has been formed for the suppression of vice. Numbering about 500 members, while between 450 and 500 people were converted. There's more. How about Emmitsburg, Iowa? Getting a little closer. Williams and Alexander have just closed a wonderful meeting at Emmitsburg, Iowa. The churches united and built a tabernacle seating 1,000. The meetings ran three weeks, during which time 250 people were converted. The churches have been greatly helped in their spiritual life. The town has been made over, and the churches also. Williams and Alexander are universally pronounced to be the strongest combination for evangelistic work ever seen in this part of the state. Eagle Grove. The gospel tent meeting closed last night with over 90 seekers at the altar, most of which were converted. Three weeks ago, Eagle Grove was a wild, wicked town, manifest lawlessness breaking out on all sides, churches weak, some of them discouraged and demoralized, atheistic materialism and other forms of infidelity held sway, but a great change has come over the town. All places of business close now on Sunday. The church too small to accommodate their great increased membership. In some of them, seating capacity must be more than doubled to seat the people. And over 500 people were converted and will unite with the churches while many others resolve to live better lives in the future. The work is thorough. Great reforms have been wrought out Homes of drunkenness, want and woe have been transformed and now peace and plenty may be found. These men of God left on the 4 p.m. train amid the shouts and tears of hundreds of Eagle Grove's best people who came to the station to see them off. And in the summer of 1895, in August 1st, the newspaper talks about preparatory cottage meetings where people would gather together and pray for this tent revival that was coming to Fort Dodge. August 12th, there was a canvassing by church leaders calling their people to come out to this event and calling their people to invite people to come. And their first service brought in 800 people, and they had to dismiss the service due to weather. He didn't even get to preach that night. But three days later, on August 20th, 1,200 people showed up. A week later, it talks about Williams speaking the Word of God without fear or favor, and he has absolutely no sympathy with the idea that the world is good enough already. He believes that it needs to be saved, and it needs it badly. And he spoke to pastors, warning them about patting sinners on the back and dealing out sweetened wind and honey phrase instead of standing up straight as vertebrate creatures and speaking out God's truth like men divinely sent. He stated that the church is a soul-saving institution and at the end thousands came forward and said they would start anew for Christian service. People then tried to undercut Williams' ministry by stating that Eagle Grove converts were already backsliding. It wasn't genuine. And people from Eagle Grove showed up to the Fort Dodge meetings. And instead of preaching, Williams threw the meeting open and he called upon the Eagle Grove people to testify for Christ and to the sincerity of the previous meetings they had had earlier that year. And everyone who spoke said they had not known of one Person in the 543 converts at Eagle Grove who had gone back. But that a good many converts had also been added since those meetings had closed. New churches were being built and the whole community was being continually blessed. One clipping as they were inviting people to come out to these meetings, it says, if the preaching makes you feel uncomfortable, get where it will not. And not in place, but in moral adjustments. thought that was interesting for the ad for that night's prayer and worship revival. On August 30th, towards the end of that month, there were up to 1,900 people at the evening events. And the newspaper says, "...it's something wondrous that near 2,000 people will sit on not-so-comfortable rough seats." and listen on an August evening to a sermon two hours and 15 minutes long. On August 31st, they decided they needed to do more fasting and prayer, even in the midst of all of that. They prayed and they fasted for greater depth and thoroughness in the work that was taking place. And on the last day of these meetings in September... 7,000 people showed up in the midst of the services that they provided. The paper finishes by saying the good work goes on and our hopes are bright for a continuous state of revival. Fort Dodge has never been so deeply moved before. Never were masks so faithfully torn from individual, church, and social life. The air is purer the sky brighter, and the outlook full of fairest promise for God and humanity. This is in our backyard. I just thank God, do it again. On March 1st, when Pastor Kurt stood at this pulpit in my installation service, there was something he said that resonated so loudly in my spirit, and I want to repeat it for us again as a congregation. I quote Kurt Folks, I don't know how it will happen, but I just want to say to you that I have this sense that God will use you, your team of leaders, your people here at Faith, and others that come to know the Lord in Northwest Iowa to spark a Mount Carmel type of revival. A revival that will turn people's hearts to the one true God and away from the false gods that, give, that people give their time, their treasures, and their talents to. And as we seek God together and follow his word, there is no limit to what God can do. Better more spirit filled more glory to God days are ahead of you and you can celebrate that because of what is God because what a God is doing in your midst that was on March first two weeks later doors are closed we've entered this season that we've never experienced ever but yet in the midst of our circumstances we're reaching more people than ever. The church as a whole, not just faith community church. But God is on the move. He is doing things in our area. And I want to tell you something with revival. We can desire revival. We can hope for revival. Yesterday's prayer meeting, I said just saying revival can be a cliche thing, but I truly believe it can come to our area. It's not just a cliche for me. I see signs of it. I see a unity building amongst leadership and local churches and things that are being planned to bring the church as a whole together to pray for revival and to see people come to know the Lord. We've even had conversations of bringing in some kind of revival meetings where be similar to this. Every night there'd be something going on where we could invite people and they could come to know the Lord. But revival ultimately starts individually, right here in your own heart. Asking the Lord, what do you want to do in my life? You know, this is what I want for my area, this is what I want for my community, this is what I want for my country. But what do you want to do here? And ask the Lord to help you respond to that. I want to show you this video clip as we close this morning.
1: I was excited. I volunteered to go into the military. I was, I was gun ho 19 year old kid, wanted to serve my country.
0: What surprised me the most is the resilience of our guys, the tenacity, the the, the, the guts that uh, these young kids under some horrible conditions. I was always amazed at how we just uh, kept trucking along and doing what we knew we had to do. so great to me and got me through some some severe combat things. I mean, rockets flying
1: over you and bullets and things of that nature. You know, a lot of my my friends, they didn't come back. The agreement that we made with the NATO alliance is that uh, we're not bringing any Bibles, any crucifixes, anything like that. We can't bring anything of religious uh, Christianity uh, into Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. He said, but I'm going to allow you to bring your Bible because I know your your background and I, I feel you're sincere. So we started having church services then the next week we had a service and then another service and another service and a couple of days before the ground war i was having a service at the kuwait border and we had 2500 people at this service they said it's the largest christian service recorded in the history of saudi arabia we had saudis kuwaitis different countries were in the service they showed it on cnn my dad saw me on tv We as citizens need to understand that there have seen things and witnessed things that no human being ever cares to see or witness again. I had one who was apologizing to me for being around. When... uh, A mortar round exploded, and he's apologizing to me. And uh, he's saying, "I'm sorry, sir. I'll uh, I'll do better next time. When I get better, I'll come back. I'll I'll make you proud." And I told him. I am proud, and he died just minutes later.
0: With the message entitled, A History Lesson, I want to just walk us through a few things in regards to the United States of America. The opening prayer for the First Continental Congress on September 7th, 1774 was given by Jacob Duchesne, and I want to read to you some from his opening prayer. O Lord, our heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments, look down in mercy. We beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. Two years later, independence was formally declared on July 2nd, 1776, and on July 4th, Congress approved the final text of the Declaration of Independence, severing their connection to Great Britain. They would later to go on and sign the Declaration of Independence. One month later, Samuel Adams gave a speech entitled American Independence, and in that speech he says, We have this day, 4th of July, restored The sovereign God to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. Eleven years later, America found herself at a crucial crossroads, and there was the Constitutional Convention. In late June of this convention, Benjamin Franklin stated that at the beginning of our conquest with Britain, when we were in danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers were heard and graciously answered. I therefore move that prayers employing the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning. The motion was seconded. And deliberations were suspended for three days for prayer and fasting. And when they had returned on July 2nd, the deadlock was replaced with agreement. And they would go on to write the Constitution of the United States. I believe that our nation was founded by men who were believers. And we live in a culture that tries to somehow separate that from history by simply trying to ignore it or push it away. But I don't know how you can ignore it. Listening to how these guys would speak and they would implore each other that we need to seek God for wisdom on how we should structure things. But here's the deal. I want you to hear this whole statement before... Maybe you look at me like, what do you mean by that? What makes us a Christian nation is not our constitution. What makes us a Christian nation is hearts that are in submission to God and his word. And we are in need of revival. Will you bow your heads and pray with me as we close this time? Father, we thank you for this message today. And Lord, in this moment, we ask ourselves the question Holy Spirit, how would you want me to respond today? God, help us. Help us in these days. To live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. You are a God of forgiveness. You're gracious and you're merciful. You're slow to become angry and you're rich in unfailing love. Help us to turn to you and know that you are here to restore to restore our lives, to restore families, to restore our nation. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that would desire God's restoration touch, to move deeply upon their own hearts and their own lives. If you desire to receive Christ in your life today, I ask that you'd simply pray with me in your heart this prayer of salvation. Call out to him and say, Jesus, today I surrender. And I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin. Help me to repent, to change, to pursue holiness and to live for you. Thank you for coming to live in my life and for being my Lord and my Savior. And today I receive you. And I thank you for the freedom that you bring. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we close this morning, I do want to state that If there's anybody in this room that prayed to receive Christ into your life, I want to encourage you to take this resource called Now What? It's a next step guide for how to walk out your faith journey. You can find these at our welcome desk. If you're tuning in online and you prayed to receive Christ, you can get this resource at faithccpalmer.org forward slash now. Dash what We want to equip you with this. You can also request a Bible there. And for those who are here at the welcome desk, these actually come with the Bible. Please feel free to take one of these.